Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from our wonderful state. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, it's good to see you uh, via Zoom. Yes, and hopefully we're nearing the end of our Zoom days over the course of the next several months. I mean, oh, Claire. Oh. As the weather's getting warmer, I'm getting more optimistic. I am so happy to hear that from you because, you know, you would not send false hope on COVID. But I think you're right. Uh, we can maybe briefly talk about this, but certainly vaccination rates and, and the ability to vaccinate people seems to be going better. So your wish, your hopeful thinking, I think, is uh, is merited on this day. Our other panelist, Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, are you as cheery and as happy as Claire? Well, for those Battleground Wisconsin <laughs> listeners who don't know Claire personally, she doesn't really mean that we should act to quote Joe Biden like Neanderthals. So I think that it's unfair to Neanderthals, like Governor Abbott in Texas is, and the governor of Mississippi is, and say, we're open for business, no masks. But yes. Claire's not well, saying that. And greetings to our radio and digital audience. Yes, it's actually a very, Robert and Claire, very fitting entrance to the show, given that um, we do always want to keep an eye on what's happening with COVID, even though we have a number of other um, uh, topics to talk about today. It is worth pointing out that a number of states have lifted their mask mandates. Uh, again, Texas this week, uh, which is ridiculous. Uh, we we are things are going better on the vaccination front, but we are ways away from that being the safe public health thing. Uh, the corollary on that here in the state was. Uh, big stories yesterday about the crowds of uh, kids and uh, parents and other folks at the Capitol crowded into uh, hearing rooms and overflow rooms without masks and just clearly uh, more of the same at the Capitol of our uh, QAnon Republican uh, caucus over there, just not even caring about the public health crisis. Uh, pretty, pretty disturbing to see all those kids in that overflow room yesterday uh, unmasked, uh, given what's going on. With that, though, folks, we got to jump in. We have so much to talk about, really, what's happening at the federal level, because let's be honest, uh, there is a ton of action going on. Uh, the biggest, I think the biggest news, and certainly from our side as progressives, uh, has been the removal of the 15-hour uh, minimum wage. We talked a bit about that last week, uh, the Senate parliamentarian. We can talk more about that. Uh, and as it relates to whether, you know, whether this was, you know, why and is this good? What does this portend? But I want to start the discussion around the House passing uh, huge sweeping elections reform bill uh, yesterday. We Again, we record Thursday. Uh, huge things that is essentially an effort to combat what is happening in a number of our states. We have almost 250 bills now uh, across uh, a number of areas that will roll back basically voter suppression, uh, a number of voting, uh, voting rights and uh, access to voting. So, Robert, I want to start with you. Give us uh, just a little bit of, of some of the deets in terms of what exactly is in this uh, bill? Why is it so sweeping? And then let's get into like uh, with Claire and both of you on why this is so important as it relates to the Senate and, and how this is going to be a fight. 
Yeah, there's a reason that this is HR1 and SB1. This is fundamental to achieving anything else we want to achieve as progressives or as mainline Democrats. We have an assault on democracy. And that's quite literal now with what happened on January 6th and the warnings that March 4th is a QAnon day where Trump is supposed to be reinstalled, which is causing that the House not to be in session and, and security alerts in Washington, D.C., uh, as we record on Thursday. So you have that. And then you have this wave after the denial that Joe Biden won the election of voter suppression laws, 253 introduced across the country so far. If you combine that with their, their, their um, plans to gerrymander the new Congress after we have increased the, the reapportionment based on the um, census, you could have like an eight vote shift of House seats just in Florida through gerrymandering, which means the whole margin between Republicans and Democrats. So you add to that to th- uh, at the first midterm of a president usually being hard for the president's party, then we have, again, only two years, like last time, both in the state of Wisconsin and federally, of democratic control. So it's not just about partisan control. That's what the modern conservatives about. It's about democracy, because this is to put in power a minority party, and we know what they stand for. Here's the problem. Our party right now is a coalition between a surging progressive wing and establishment more moderate Democrats and the Senate is 50-50. There are moderate Democrats, uh, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, people like Chris Coons, people like Gene Shaheen in New Hampshire, who don't want to remove the filibuster, which again, is not in the Constitution and imposes minority rule on what is already a minority U.S. Senate, which already is gerrymandered by its nature against popular majorities. And doesn't re- their 50, 50 votes doesn't represent 50 percent of the population. It's more like 38 percent of the population. So that, that's why the minimum wage is dropping out, because uh, you can't get currently uh, some of those moderates to vote to remove the filibuster. Here's the problem. Uh, if you look at the democracy issue and you look at things like the George Floyd bill that just went through, if you don't change it, You can't have any of these things, and the Republicans will rule Congress for the next decade. So what's in this bill is everything uh, uh, Democrats of both moderate and progressive stripe support. Uh, You have an automatic Election Day registration like Governor Evers. You have two weeks of early voting guaranteed in every state. You have an expansion of mail-in voting, the restoration of voting rights for people convicted of felonies once they've served their time, which would enfranchise a lot of people in Wisconsin who, once they're out but are still on paper, so to speak, in probation, they can't vote, restrictions on voter ID laws and voter purges, creation of independent redistricting commission uh, for House districts to prevent uh, extreme gerrymandering and crackdowns on dark money and a public financing system, congressional campaign. So this would restore popular rule, one person, one vote in a number of ways. It will never get support from any Republicans because of their power interest in minority rule.
I think what Robert laid out uh, explains not just what this bill is, but why it's critically important that we advance it at this moment. And um, I'll I'll add just a couple other pieces of context. And I think one of them is is that you know it's really important that we advance this at the federal level, uh, not only because it's important. I think that Democrats be viewed as the party that. Um, supports democracy expansion, not retraction, but also because of what's happening at the state level in lots of places like Wisconsin, where you're seeing a conservative backlash to the um, expansions of democracy that happened in um, the 2020 presidential election with things like in uh, absentee voting and voting by mail um, and all the things that helped to um, usher in the new president, right? And so we're seeing this sort of Republican conservative of backlash to that in an attempt to contract to restrict democracy instead of expand it, right? So it's just from a worldview perspective, setting a sign that these are all just like really good policies, I think it's also really important that there be a liberal counterpoint to that saying like, no, we should not be contracting democracy, we should be expanding it, that's what this country should really be about. Um, and if states, like I said, um, such as Wisconsin, um, pass these voting rights restrictions, um, we need the federal government to be passing counter legislation to that um, and hopefully to override restrictions on voting rights that are that are put in place at the local level. So this is important in particular, I, I think, for Wisconsinites um, who might see their uh, voting rights restricted in the coming months here in state. Um, that's that's one reason why I think this is this is really, really important. Robert, any further thoughts? I think uh, obviously this affects absolutely everything, and this is not uh, Republicans. It's very interesting. In court filings in Arizona, the National Republican Party argued directly that the reason they were going to have voter suppression rules is because they benefit Republicans, and that, that it's, it's to their partisan disadvantage to have it easier for people to vote. Flat out said that in, co- in a court hearing this week. So that's what this is about. And the question is whether moderate Democrats, it's fascinating how progressive Democrats have been willing to compromise. We're holding our, our, our fire on minimum wage. It is the moderate Democrats that are, have some sort of death wish that the, the handful of them in the U.S. Senate for their own party and for democracy out of some misplaced idea that there's bipartisanship that's possible. They literally think or say that the filibuster will encourage bipartisanship. Really? So with this Republican Party? So that's where we stand. Look, it's absurd. You almost got to wonder why would you even want to be a Democrat if you're not going to stand up on some of these fundamental principles around election rights. But we're going to continue to watch this. This is a huge fight. We got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin for Citizen Action. Talking about a number of things that are moving at the federal level, uh, very important uh, issues. And one of the issues, right, that's related is what's going on with these COVID, the COVID bill. Uh, We talked at the start of the show, we mentioned, right, 15 minimum wage got held up in there. Um, But also, it seems like the Democrats appear to be negotiating with themselves on now what the price of the price of the checks are going to be and the size of this. Uh, your thoughts on this, Claire? And then, Robert, I want to get your thoughts. 
um, in, are, are we going to get this thing through? The other X factor is we got Senator Ron Johnson now, Senator QAnon Ron says he's going to filibuster. He's going to read the whole the whole document to us. Blair, is this this is uh, this is uh, this is our Senate right now. What uh, your thoughts on this and, and prospects? Yeah, I'll take uh, I'll take the Ron Johnson one first, uh, just because I am so mad about it. Okay, so look, not not only is it BS that he is trying to slow down this process, right? Like on face value, of course, the worst thing here is that he's trying to slow down putting money into people's pockets, his own constituents' pockets, you know, people who are working in middle class people, um, and that this is all about trying to stimulate the economy, which like he is supposed to be all about the economy, right? So not only is that just bad, but as somebody who has been a staffer in government, can I just say this poor person or people, I don't know how they're gonna do it, who have to read these bills aloud, I am offended on behalf of the people for whom he is their boss because they're going to make them read this bill out loud. I mean, it is just just so that he can make a point about something for a bill that's going to pass anyways. I I am just so offended on behalf of these poor staffers um, who have to whose lives and jobs are made so much harder by sitting up and, and reading that the six to 700 page bill probably in the middle of the night because because Ron Johnson has something to prove. Well, that sounds like great, uh, great viewing on C-SPAN, Robert. Well, I think Ron Johnson, the, the former uh, manufacturing honcho, has about as much regard for those staff, Claire, as the corporate uh, aristocracy has for all the essential workers. They have forced to risk their lives and risk the lives of their family during this pandemic with no additional pay or benefits. In fact, they're against a $15 minimum wage for those heroes. It makes you wonder what a hero means you're disposable, according to this group. Uh, Johnson's in that group. By the way, he's become a national laughingstock. It's all over MSNBC, CNN. Actually, Brian Williams, one of the MSNBC hosts, calls him Ron Anon Johnson. I thought QAnon Ron uh, rings a little better. Uh, but then uh, Joe Scarborough, you know, Morning Joe called him one morning the, the stupidest man in the Senate. But then the next uh, day said he wasn't going to do that anymore because he'd made a New Year's resolution to try to be nice. So that's what is going on with our senator. A, a group that used to exist in Wisconsin used to have a website called Our Dumb Senator. But then again, I, I agree with, with Morning Joe. We shouldn't go down that direction. But he's part of all of this. And that, that's the thing. That's partly why progressives had to compromise and hold off on the minimum wage, not give up on it, because the Republicans are going to make it very hard through these tactics to get this finished in time, not to have people's unemployment checks get cut off on March 14th. And Democrats, unlike Republicans, care about that. They don't. Ron, Senator Johnson, uh, certainly does not. And now, but you do have, going back to our earlier theme, the same problem with a handful of establishment senators uh, negotiating with ourselves and having fewer people get COVID relief, fewer than did under Trump. What are the, the survival checks? What are we doing? Uh, Chris Hayes had a, quite a uh, rant on MSNBC Wednesday night 
saying uh, that there's no big interest group lobbying for this, no public demand. The, the bill has 77 percent support. The Republicans, he pointed out, are avoiding talking about the bill. And if you turn on Fox News and I can confirm this, they're into culture wars. They're talking about Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss, not this bill. Other than Newt Gingrich, who thinks it's going to lead to a Republican majority for a decade, but he is alone in his bubble. Uh, that's on Fox well, News as well. Well, so this, this Robert, poses the question, um, who, who's doing a better job right now in negotiating or getting their way or leveraging their power, Manchin and, and others, or shall we say the progressive caucus, because this is going to be critical. You know, we just talked about this critical voting rights bill and our ability to try to go and remove the filibuster. Um, it, it, this played out on 15. And here we are, right? We're, we need to get this thing moved. I think 15 was jettisoned to try to get this moved quickly. And now we're negotiating with ourselves on, on the size. It's, it, it is a little disturbing, but my assumption is this is going to pass hopefully very quickly. Uh, Robert, it looked like you had another they thought. Need yeah. All 50 votes. So they have us over the, uh, over the barrel on this. Uh, Chris Hayes thinks it's just a kind of moderation reflex that we want to water it down, that that's going to be better, even if there's no political demand. Well, I actually suspect, Matt, that there are big funding plutocrats that fund establishment Democrat campaigns that care about deficits because they don't want to spend all the money on average people. They want to, frankly, reserve it for Wall Street. They're fine with the open door at the Fed for big corporations and for the wealthy and the unlimited zero in, near zero interest rates, et cetera. And so there, I think there is power behind this ideology. Progressives have stood down so far, but we have the capacity in Congress. We have more unity in Congress among House and Senate progressives than we've seen in 40 years. And I think this will happen to block all legislation until we get a $15 minimum wage, et cetera, and to really put pressure and put pressure on Biden to put pressure on the mansion cinemas. And Gene Shaheen was part of this. They're not just those two. Well, I, I want to give Claire an opportunity to respond to that. I think that's absolutely like if there isn't an effort like that, then I, I mean, I think this has been gravely misplayed. And I'll just remind you, Robert, early on, I know there was some discussion you had articulated around the idea that you would leverage Manchin and have Manchin be the one who was turning down COVID relief. Well, that didn't happen, as it turns out. If anything, Manchin was in power and Manchin's driving down the bill right now. So that that bright future of progressives standing up and saying they're going to hold up every bill over, over 15. I hope you're right. I think it's critical. I think it could be very damaging if they don't, because then they will have given up to the parliamentarian, which is a joke. Claire. Yeah, I would. So I agree with all that, obviously. Um, but I would add that, um, you know, Democrats have won the last, uh, the last elections in, in 2020 um, on a sort of the margins, right? So it's it's a slim a slim number of people that are that they're sort of fighting over and moving back and forth, right? And and I know it's a lot about turnout and whatnot, right? Um, but people turn out when they when they think that uh, one party or another has done something for them or will do something for them, right? And so so it may not seem like so when we take the issue of 
um, the, the stimulus checks, for example, in the COVID relief bill. And we think, oh, you know, it's not a huge population of people who aren't going to be receiving checks now. It's just people between who are between, you know, $100,000 a year and, and $80,000 a year or whatever the numbers are. I think it's about that. Um, you know, so it, you know, it's only, you know, a small percentage of the American population, right? But small percentage of the American population makes a big difference in these elections. So even, you know, so even setting aside that it would be good and better policy to pass the bill in its original form out of the House, it's also, I think, just bad politics to take something away from a, from this group of people when we're winning elections based on a small group of people of about that same size, right? So I think it's just pragmatically and policy-wise, it's just it's silly that we've negotiated against ourselves to use Robert's terms. Back to you, Robert. Just one quick thought on that. I agree with all of that. This is based, these survival checks, on 2019 taxes. You know what? Some of the people on that income group lost their jobs and have had huge economic impacts or, the, or, the, or one of the partners had to quit their job to take care of their kids, etc. Some of them are destitute or really need the money. So it's really, and those stories are going to cut in a devastating way. So this is horrendous politics. And it tells you the problem because progressives are willing to stand down to make sure that no one's cut off on March 14th, right? This time that progressives, including the squad, are reasonable in playing ball. Remember the usual narrative that, that progressives are the ones that want to fund the police and do all these things that harm elections? No, no. This is establishment Democrats in the Senate that are damaging the party. And if they will not move on the filibuster when it comes to election reform, they're giving away minority rule to a dangerous right-wing Republican minority for the next decade. With that, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Again, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about a lot of what's been going on at the federal level because it's it's just it's where the action's at. Uh, we will in our next segment talk about some visionary looking at where we want to go here in the state with um, with uh, st- uh, State Representative Christina Shelton around an economic justice bill of rights for all wisconsinites so uh, stay tuned we'll talk more about that in the final segment um, but before uh, we get to that we want to continue uh, talking about what's been going on at the federal level i uh, also want to add in and in addition to the conversation we've been having about this critical covid relief bill and the uh, uh, importance elections bill that passed the house again yesterday uh, there is some critical potential labor law reform that is coming up in Congress and may have a vote as early as next week, if I'm correct, in the House or uh, in the next, yeah, as early as next week. Robert, can you give us a little bit more information about that? And I'd like to talk more about that because I think all of these things are related. These are all things that are going to require us to do big things, you know, particularly in the Senate. Robert, your thoughts, because if I'm correct, Robert, labor laws got, got defeated in the Senate last cycle, Robert. That is correct. And by the way, before I jump to that, one thing on the past segment, we got to mention that uh, the FBI director and testimony on Wednesday and uh, it was uh, you know, Tuesday shot down QAnon Ron Sadder Johnson's theory that it was Trump impersonators. 
that had uh, stormed the Capitol. And just so just to remind everyone of his continued humiliation on national stage. But going to to something positive, Matt, you're right. And Claire started Battleground Wisconsin positive this week. So we have not had serious labor law reform that was fundamental since the 1930s. And it's one of the main reasons that inequality has skyrocketed. Unions give workers the power to make sure that workers get a fair share of the gains of our society. And the destruction of unions, which has been a deliberate conspiracy for 40 years by business interests, by billionaires, uh, and you can see it with Amazon and Jeff Bezos, how they try to block every single organizing drive and manipulate the law, including the, the, the one in Alabama that Joe Biden has supported over the weekend, that this is a huge deal that has to happen just like democracy reform needs to happen, criminal justice reform, a $15 minimum wage. And this is the best chance we've had in a very long time because Joe Biden supports labor law reform more fundamentally than any Democrat president probably since Harry Truman, and much more than Bill Clinton or, or Barack Obama. And so it was a close vote last session in the House, but passed, and we're expecting another House vote uh, on a sweeping reform bill that would restore the right to organize. It's called the PRO Act. PRO Act is the is, is the name of it is the uh, Protecting the Right to Organize Act. I, I'd rather call it the Right to Organize Act, as Matt was suggesting before we started taping. Uh, but it's being called the PRO Act, and it's coming up. It's expected March 10th. I'm actually at the national table representing our the whole network, Citizen Action Wisconsin's part of People's Action. So I have a lot of information on this, and we'll be send if you're a, co a Citizen Action member, you'll be getting more information from us. Uh, but the big fight will be in the Senate, even though, of course, it's a, because the margin in the House is uh, tight between Democrats and Republicans. It'll it'll be it'll be close, but it should pass. Um, but we still want to make sure we engage. It's a generational opportunity, as the National AFL-CIO says. And what happens right now is. A whole, if workers really try, most workers want to have unions, 60%, and they don't have any ability to get it. There are all sorts of workers who have no right to organize whatsoever. And then the ones that do have to go through a gauntlet of corporate attacks and business attacks and intimidations and illegal firings and, and a refusal to, 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 you know, have a first contract closing the facility or the store. It goes on and on, or, or dodges like franchises as opposed to McDonald's, so McDonald's can't be organized in mass. It goes on and on. This restores what the law still says, the 1930s law that says that there's a positive benefit to have collective bargaining, the New Deal reforms, and that the workers have a right to a union. There's no right to employers to intimidate workers. But that's about to have been defined as free speech or to drag out legal processes in a way that make it almost impossible. That is why people are, are, are why the labor movement is shrinking. And there will be a public sector rights bill that would affect Wisconsin that will be parallel to this. That hasn't been introduced yet, but this is on the private sector. So I'm not going to go through every single provision, but this would make it possible for workers who want a union to have one and take away the right of employers to prevent workers from exercising a fundamental human right that the United States after the, after the World War II got put into the UN Declaration of Human Rights. So we are violating human rights 
international human rights groups say that about the United States. It's a, it's a clear violation of the right to association. Claire, wanted to get uh, your thoughts on this, uh, both both uh, the bill itself, but also the prospects. I mean, I think that Robert's right about the importance, but uh, given what we were just talking about, um, what are what do you think its chances are? Uh, I'll say I, I don't know what its chances are. Um, Robert is certainly the expert on this particular bill over me. Um, but I will say I think that we have a more uh, labor friendly uh, federal administration and Congress than we have in a long time, uh, which makes me hopeful. Um, and this this comes to or what it comes to mind when I'm saying that is the comments that President Biden said um, this week in support of the Amazon workers in Alabama that are unionizing. And I can't remember the last time I heard a president say such positive things about labor organizing. Um, so he said, uh, today and over the next few days and weeks, workers in Alabama and all across America are voting on whether to unionize, organize a union in their workplace. There should be no intimidation, no coercion, no threats, no anti-union propaganda. No supervisor should confront employees about their union preferences. Every worker should have a free and fair choice to join a union. The law guarantees that choice. I mean, it's just such a clear... Um, statement of support for workplace labor unions. Um, and so I think, you know, hopefully the president would be supportive of the act and, and that that could help, um, you know, usher it through Congress or at least move it further along than it otherwise would. So, so I'm, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic, but I'm hopeful. Those were great points by Claire and Biden's strong support for this is part of what makes it more possible. It will still require all 50 Democrats in the Senate. We still got to get through the House, but we should be able to. And modifying the filibuster or removing it, period, just like everything else we talked about. And here's what it comes down to. Well, to another thing about it that I should mention that's important. If we do that in this era, the workers who are denied a living rage, who are exploited the most, are uh, predominantly a lot of working class people, but a lot of them are black and brown people. And a lot of them are women of color. A lot of them in, in professions like fast food, caregiving professions, uh, the gig economy that is growing, etc. This would create a new radical labor movement, a much more diverse one that would become a major ally on everything else. Climate change, Black Lives Matter and, uh, and, and racial justice economic equality, et cetera, and would create a power base for building a progressive majority. There is no precedent anywhere in the world for progressive government that does not have a powerful labor movement. And here's the difference. We talked about this at the, at the level of democracy and the, and the Republicans try to change the playing field. Modern conservatives change the playing field, the rules of the game, the structure when they have power. Democrats don't. We've got to do that on the right to vote, on the right to have a labor union, a whole lot of other issues. Otherwise, we would continue to be destroyed every, by the Republicans whenever they take control and then rig the system. Look, I w wanted to start and center this in the, the, you know, the failure over 15, because we talked about why that is structural reform and, and why that was so important. Um, this is similar for all the reasons Robert laid out. I can just, you know, I'll just tell you, I think a lot of people know, I, I started as a union organizer. I organized healthcare workers. 
you know, I got into politics in part because I saw so many workers who had no functional right to organize and thought that there might be opportunities to leverage, you know, political power to change that. So because, you know, if you don't have a real democracy or true freedom in your workplace, uh, which can be some of the most undemocratic places uh, people inhabit and you inhabit that a lot of your work, um, it it is so important, and so that's why this whole conversation about the filibuster, all these important things. At some point, if we're going to get something that matters, this is going to have to happen. Um, and so it's been a it's been a great conversation, I would say, about all of these issues uh, and what lays at stake. And it's really a question. Part of the problem, I also just I'm going to throw this in before we go, is you know we've talked about this progressive caucus that has formed in the House. It does not have a corollary in the Senate, and I think that is really limited in its, its powered mansion and, uh, in a way that is uh, most unfortunate. But uh, it's clear now it's got to be figured out because if it doesn't, uh, this is, will be catastrophic if there aren't advances and there better be a standalone minimum wage bill. Anyways, we got to wrap this up because we got to move to our next segment. When We are super excited uh, for the next segment because, again, it's about visionary stuff that puts the proper light on where we needed to be headed uh, that's based on our core vision and values. Uh, so we're really super excited to be talking uh, about that next in our next episode. Again, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are super excited have two special guests with us uh, to talk about very exciting economic justice bill of rights for all Wisconsinites that was introduced yesterday at the Capitol with a number of uh, state senators and state representatives. And we're joined by state representative Christina Shelton and also by Nada Elmakovsky, who is the chief of staff with uh, Francesca Hong, state representative Francesca Hong. And I want to say both our Citizen Action Co-op members. We're super glad to have both of you. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. Awesome. This is great. So, Christina, I'm going to kick it to you first. Tell our listeners, give us a little bit about what is the Economic Justice Bill of Rights for all Wisconsinites. Thank you, Matt. Uh, thanks for having us on today to talk about this. You know, this project is so important and it's something that Representative Hung and I and Nada and our team started working on before we were even sworn in in, in January. We started having this conversation back in November, being reflective of the 2020 election, thinking critically about what it means to be Democrats, what is our role and what's our vision as we enter into the, the assembly, into the legislature as, as not only elected leaders at the state level, but in our own communities. And within those conversations, what we started to really unpack was that, you know, there are a lot of wins in the 2020 election, both here in the state level and across the country, but that we felt that we really needed to, as Democrats and as a party and as leaders, really set a, a vision, a, a set of commitments that we would be able to stand on, a foundation that would provide a lens that we would approach not just legislative work, but also the grassroots work that we do in our communities. Because I think that's one of the beautiful parts of this relationship, our office with Rep Hong, is we really see this as a community organizing tool. Um, and, and within those conversations, what we also noticed too is that we needed to do a better job of communicating uh, to working people and their families what we are going to be doing for them and how we're going to do that and how 
we're going to bring them in. So what we did is we crafted the Economic Justice Bill of Rights for all Wisconsinites. It is a public set of commitments for and by the people of Wisconsin. And it essentially catalogs our most fundamental and basic rights. Um, It's an an economic imperative, but it's also a moral imperative. It's a visionary statement. Um, But what we are asking people is to join us because we really think that a bold, unapologetic commitment that builds solidarity across our deep divides is, is really the path to, to go on and to build. And it's, it's been incredibly exciting. And I get to work with my good friend, Nada every single day uh, and, and Fran in my office with Savion Castro as well. So wonderful to work with you, Christina, and this economic justice bill of rights is in, in my opinion, an incredibly timely kind of legislative effort for, for the time that we are in now. I think all across you know, government and politics, and certainly during campaigning, we've seen that we've needed a reconfiguration of, you know, progressiveness to the 21st century. There are economic and political and social safety nets that have torn even more um, because of COVID-19 and have really shown just how far we have left to go. Um, And kind of looking at history and the past and FDR to set a standard for for how we start this off was was incredibly important for us in kind of looking at this as as a bill of rights. Um, And it's including, you know, populations and demographics and rights that, you know, haven't been discussed before. How do we deal with with racism and white supremacy uh, as it interacts with economic justice and as well as other things? Um, and so I think it's it's incredibly needed in a legislature where we are the minority, where we do not have, you know, the power that we want, but we're also coming from these communities that want us to fight for them anyways. And so really looking at how grassroots organizing is also a solution to, to gerrymandering, looking at how we can combat um, redistricting and, and these really draconian voter suppression laws by engaging the community at a local level, by giving people and constituents agency in their in their own well-being and their own livelihood is incredibly important, not as, you know, just people that work in the capital as legislators, but really as as human beings in this grassroots movements for for better and for a stronger working class. First of all, I want to, you know, applaud your offices for uh, your work on this issue, um, not only is it is it timely, uh, but I think it's really important to have a clear um, document that says, you know, this is what we believe in, this is what we stand for, and to have that be um, sort of your your moral center as you move forward and start trying to pass legislation that affects. Uh, or touches on pieces of pieces of that sort of bill of rights, right? That moral center. Um, so I I want to know if you can talk a little bit about, um, and maybe we'll go to Representative Shelton first, um, a little bit about what the reaction to this bill has been um, in the community and amongst your colleagues. I would say the support for this uh, resolution has been incredible. It's been fantastic as a relationship building tool with not just those that I serve with in the legislature and the Senate and in the assembly, but in the community as well. You know, it, again, it, 
What I love about this document is it is a framework that centers economic security through an understanding that these, these elements, these pieces of our lives are all connected, that a living wage job in and of itself does not provide economic security, right? That, that it's connected to good public schools and it's connected to you know, transportation and housing and, uh, and healthcare and childcare and, and, and um, having you know, uh, access to collective bargaining you know, and to a union, that all of these things are interconnected and interrelated. And what it has done is it's allowed us to build a bigger table, to pull up more chairs, to bring more voices into the conversation to say, you know, hey, you know, your organization may be working on climate justice, but that is connected to economic security. And so how do we bring those organizations together so that we're all moving in the same direction. To me, it's about not working harder. It's about working smarter. And, uh, you know, we right out of the gate, we had support from Senator Agard, Senator Larson, uh, uh, Representative Stubbs came forward to us yesterday or two days ago, and she was just very thrilled about this, you know, visionary um, resolution. And what we've heard people say over and over is as a party and as leaders and as, you know, progressives, um, our job is not to uphold the status quo, but it is to demand that, you know, people have access to housing, you know, that there it's not some sort of means testing that we require to determine who deserves it and who doesn't, that this is something, these are things and rights that we all agree that we will uphold, again, not just in the legislature through policy and, and legislation, but in, in the community work that we do every day. And I want to add one other thing too, Claire, that's really exciting about this is, we're going to be reaching out to county boards and school boards and city council members and asking them to uphold these rights as well, because we know that it's not just about work in the state capitol. This is going to require everyone to commit and work in the lane that they operate. Robert? Yeah, I want to compliment you both on this. I think you're completely right that Democrats don't do a good enough job of being clear on what they're for. And if you don't lay that out, we often introduce, I mean, we as in Democratic legislators, kind of watered down compromises that don't excite anyone and they expect the public to understand what we stand for when we go to the ballot box and that mm -hmm. doesn't work. And so I want to compliment you for that. I also think if the other side opposes it, and I want to ask you about that, it also allows the other side to define themselves because if they take a vote against this, then they are against all of these provisions that you laid out. I also want to compliment you uh, for as well, a freshman state representative and uh, not a you work for representative and you're not a law, law, lifelong staffer, quite the contrary. So you're a freshman chief of staff. And a lot of times young uh, state reps or Congress people are told to wait in line and not do anything and don't make any waves. So I love that you're, you're there to lead because you represent as many people as any other state representative. I want to ask, though, do you think that the, your caucus, the Assembly Democrat Caucus, will move this and force votes? And is there any interest on the other side? Or is this like Washington, where that no Republicans voted for COVID relief in the House are so partisan that they won't even consider anything, even though it's wild, wildly popular, even among their voters? So I'm, I'm, I fear it's the latter, but I hope you, you have uh, assurances in Democrat caucus that votes will be forced on this. 
You know, I think that process is yet to be seen, Robert. You know, right now we're circulating this as, uh, you know, for co-sponsorship and to, to drum up support. And again, we are connecting with labor leaders and key constituents and, and uh, voices around the state to try to build that up. So I think that's going to be part of the process of where this goes forward. Um, and, you know, when we embarked on this journey, we recognized full stop that, you know, as Democrats, unfortunately, there's uh, we have little power to really push legislation. And, 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 and there's a lot of values that I have in legislation I'd like to work on that I have to be realistic, may not go very far uh, with my colleagues across the aisle. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's so important that we put this this work out here and, and out there to the community. To your point, uh, this isn't a 50 page plan on how we're going to do X, Y and Z. These are high level commitments that will stick with working people who don't have the time to read a 50 page plan. So, you know, if it goes nowhere this year, which I hope it doesn't, but if it does, that's okay. We're going to keep organizing it and perhaps it will pass in, in two years. But again, I think it gives us a framework through which we can not only ground the work in our offices, but the work in our caucus and to have discussions about how we prioritize what we value and how we're going to work to advance the rights of working people. And with that, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin podcast. We're running a little behind, but we want to thank you both for joining us. And, and most of all, we want to thank you for leading. Very much needed. Uh, but we got to roll. We are way late. My producer's <laughs> telling me we're over time and we are on the radio. So we got to we gotta wrap this up. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Representative Shelton. Thank you, Nada. Everybody, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.